Hello, Savvy Scholar. It's been a minute. Glad to be back. If you are in academia, exhale. It's the end of the semester. Celebrate your accomplishments. Shout out to the students, faculty, and staff that are doing great work that are often underappreciated. Know that your voice, your work matters. We'll get to know on this episode, Jasmine Jones, a doctoral student, a scholar, writer, brilliant mind, focusing on curriculum as well as Black language. Let's get started. But tell us, why did you elect to pursue a doctoral degree? So I, um, my, like, starting education is kind of a roundabout. Um, I avoided it for a while. Um, and I feel like when you are supposed to be in certain spaces, no matter how much you avoid it, you are going to end up in those spaces. And so I didn't, like, start out wanting to be a teacher or or really an educator. Um, I wanted to be a speech pathologist. Like that was, that's what my uh, bachelor's degree is in. That's where I was pretty sure I was going to um, work. Like, and I didn't even want to do that in a school system. Like I wanted to do private practice, like was just didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, And then I didn't get into any grad schools for um, speech pathology and audiology. And you can't practice without a master. So I was like, okay, what's next? Um, and then I interviewed for, I, wor- I started working at a preschool. Um, wasn't for me. I know some people love that arena, not my space. Um, and I ended up um, going into a public school where I'm from in Charlottesville, interviewing. Um, for a posi- an after-school position, and I didn't get that position, but the principal called me and was like, hey, we have an opening for an instructional assistant, but something that was consistent for me um, while I was in the classroom was um, I always worked in schools where majority of the students um, were Black um, or they were minority, so they Black and Brown um, but typically the schools were majority Black students. And um, I remember just always feeling like those students um, in particular spaces weren't necessarily getting the things that they needed. Um, they weren't being seen, they weren't being heard, they weren't being valued, they weren't being affirmed. Um, but they would kind of explain to me that like with me, they felt like they were heard, like they were seen, even in spaces where they were, you know, in trouble or, you know, because of something, they doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, it wasn't, they knew that if I was, you know, getting on them, it was from a place of like, I love you. And I told them all the time, like, I love you. Even days when they were getting on my nerves, y'all are really pushing it today. I love y'all, but today y'all are really stressing me out. And so for me, it was like, but it was a, like combination of that, like combination of like having conversations with other teachers and sometimes hearing the not so pleasant things that they said um, about their students or assumptions that they may have made about um, about families. And then also understanding who students were and what they brought with them to the classroom and like specifically thinking about their language and how students would come in with these like, you know, with experiences um, outside of school, 
um, that helped to shape who they were, including um, language as a part of their identity. But then when they got into school, they were told to be someone else, speak a different way. You have to speak this way to be in these spaces. And I remember not really knowing or having the like language, I guess, to respond to that. And I even remember telling them like, oh, you know, when I'm with my friends, I speak a different way than I do here with y'all. And in my mind, or I, I was making sense of that as like code switching, but really what I was talking about, like I know now that I didn't know then was I was really talking about like the formality of a situation, which is more of like a register than it is a code switching because code switching would require me to like change a language. And really I was just changing how formal I was or wasn't depending on who my audience was. Um, but like they would say things like, um, like they would talk about like hearing their parents change their voice or like such and such sounds white. Like I remember hearing them say that and like they were like aware of what it meant to be black in certain spaces. And it it would make me sad to like know that even in fourth grade that they were like really aware of like what that meant. Um, and so for me, it was just loving, um, loving the students that I had and wanting to share in that love and that joy with other people. And so my thought was, um, if I have a classroom of 20 to 30 students, you know, each year, my hope is obviously that I'm impacting all of them. But if I teach a group of pre-service teachers who are going into the classroom and they have a classroom of 20 to 30 students each year, like potentially I'm reaching more students than maybe I would have reached in just my own classroom. So hoping that I'm my work, you know, sustains um, in different classrooms. So I think really ultimately it was about wanting to share in the joy that I experienced when I work with Black students and wanting others, other people to also understand that experience, that um, support, affirm, value who those students are and what they bring with them to the classrooms. I was kind of long-winded, but I am really passionate. So sometimes I talk around. <laughs> There was there was so much to unpack there in, in a good way in terms of the love that you were able to share with your students, enabling students to be felt and seen and really embracing their language and experiences. Um, and so that kind of gets into to you, like what is part of your doctoral studies is you are kind of embarking on this journey of language and curriculum. And so what is Black language and why should we shift? From code switching? So that's such a loaded question, but like Black language is, um, it is at first, it's a rule governed linguistic system. I feel like that's like at its like basic, like there are rules, there it's, it's systematic, like you, it's the same way in like white mainstream English that you can break you know those roles or misuse it black language can be misused there's pronunciations that exist within black language so there are features that exist um so i think that's like the most important thing is that we acknowledge it as a rule governed linguistic system but also it's it's black culture it's sharing in experiences it's um sharing in a common language i think it's it's I think there's something about like as a for me as a black person when I'm in a room 
with another Black person and whether that language be like a verbal thing that someone says or it's um, body, you know, I, you know, we we connect eyes and like we make this connection simply based on that, that language. Um, so I think understanding first that it's role governed, um, it is a language, it's not a sub form of a language. There are differences that exist within Black language. So someone who speaks Black language, but is from New York is not going to have, you know, is going to have a different understanding, maybe different vocabulary than someone who is from the South and is a speaker of Black language. So understanding that there's differences that exist within, but I think at its core, one, it's rule governed, uh, but it's also like a sharing in, um, in culture and identity and experiences. Um, Geneva, Geneva Smitherman talks about it as being like a language of solidarity. Um, like it was a, it was created through a shared struggle. Um, and I think that outside of the fact that speakers of Black language receive messages from society, from education um, about their language, I think that oftentimes we find that they take pride in like who they are and, and want to speak it, but they receive messages that tell them they shouldn't. And so because that, they think negatively or begin to think negatively, internalize those messages about their language. So like in going back to code switching, um, I think the interesting thing about code switching is, um, I think what's important is you have to understand why. So if, um, there's a difference in saying like, oh, if, you know, if you decide or you make a choice to change the way you speak, that's a decision that you decide to make. But do, are we aware of what that decision comes with? Like, what are the implications of making such a choice, right? And so if code switching means I'm going to be someone other than who I am, to me, that's problematic. If it means I'm going to make a choice and if I want to speak this way in um, a certain setting or don't speak this way in a certain setting like that, that's a choice that I think everyone should have and you should be okay to make that choice. But I think that if we don't understand, and we don't have a critical understanding of what that means, that's when code switching becomes a problem. You know, feeling like I need to speak this way in order to get this job, for example, or in this space, I need to sound like this or I need to be like this. What we're not saying is, in this space, I need to sound white. In this space, I need to align myself closer to whatever white is, as opposed to it being about a choice that you make for you um, based on the knowledge that you have about what that choice could mean. Advice you would provide to other Black women navigating doctoral studies? Um, community is important. Find, find your people. Um, and I think sometimes because, I, well, because sometimes we're in these spaces and we are like one of few that can be tough, but like just find people who you can, whether it be you need to vent or, you know, you are completing work together or you are, or you go to hang out afterwards, but like find a community, community, find your people and, and really leaning lean into them when when necessary. Um, something that I feel like I didn't or I don't do very well is like having a work life balance. And I know that I feel like that's easier said than done. But I would like suggest 
if you're a schedule kind of person, like have a schedule. If you're like a to-do list kind of person, um, have a to-do list, like, you know, put those things that are really important that need to get done that day or that week, however you organize your to-do list, put that, put those things at the top, things that are like, you know, I need to get done, but like, it isn't, it's okay if I don't get them done um, today. So those maybe are like your middle things. And at the bottom, it's like, these are things that I do still need to do, but they aren't as important right now as the other things on the list. So I feel like having a, a schedule and kind of trying to stick to some sort of structure, because I think it is easy to get out of that. Um, and also don't be afraid to, um, Seek, along with finding your community, like I have found that like therapy is also really helpful in this space um, because again, I we are um, at times like charting waters that other people haven't or that other people who look like, like us haven't. And sometimes, sometimes it's helpful to have someone to just talk to and like express those things too. So like if being considering therapy or mental health, you know, that's something that you're open to, I would highly suggest um, researching and finding a therapist that that you can have just throughout this journey. So as a shared experience, I have a, the pleasure of taking another class with you <laughs> in which we are exploring teaching college composition to, to college students. And mm -hmm. one of the things we embarked on was creating our teaching philosophy. Can you share aspects of your teaching philosophy? Yeah, so this, I, I enjoyed... Um, I'm still like finishing up, but I enjoy writing this um, because college writing is a different like field, I guess, or different kind of experience for me. But it's something that I am um, interested in like doing more. So my um, kind of philosophy is that everyone is a writer. And I feel like that's going to be challenging for some students, especially if you've received messages or have just had experience where you don't feel like you can write or that you do it well. Um, so kind of just starting at that, we're all writers and we all communicate in some way, right? And so in that communication, that also means we have our own unique relationships with language. And I really want my classrooms to be a space where students have the opportunity to explore that relationship with language, whether that be we're mending a relationship, we're creating a new one, um, we're kind of further supporting one that's already there. Um, but I want it to be a space where we um, explore that relationship that each person has um, with language. And I feel like um, education in itself, um, if it's not used for like various types of freedom, if it's not used for justice, if it's not used for um, self-expression, for liberation, like what are we doing it for? Like, what is the purpose? Why are we here? And so I also see the writing classroom um, in all classrooms that I, you know, plan to be in. I see them as that. I think that students are too often silenced um, in spaces that are supposed to be meant for them. And that so classrooms are supposed to be meant for students where I feel like too often they get um, silence says that, and something I kind of, I thought was, I guess it's okay to say my own writing was interesting, but I kind of made a connection between, like, in the church, right, they say, come as you are, right, you, you don't, you know, you don't have to, you can dress how, whatever, if it's jeans, come in your jeans, if it's what, you know, whatever, and so I feel like I take that philosophy with my classroom, like, 
who are you? Bring that person. Like, I want to see who that person is. I don't want you to be someone else. I don't need you to, you know, put a nice dress on or a nice suit on, you know, can't show if you feel like it, that's great. You know, I don't need you to, if you want to wear makeup, do that. But if not, that's fine. I want you to come and bring who you are because that's the person I want to work with. That's where I want to start um, because who you are is enough. And so I feel like students always feel like that. So I want them in my classroom to, to feel that way. And I definitely plan to take in like Afrocentric um, approach, like I'm really just in a space where I'm like, all things Black are is where I am. And that's because that's who I am. But that's also, you know, what I feel like students need. And I think that isn't, sometimes we hear like people talk about it being exclusionary, but it isn't because when we talk about, you know, what groups of people need, we do eventually get to also thinking about what does everyone need? And so my entryway for that is because I can only speak from the experience of a Black woman um, is through Black people. And so because that's not a space or those aren't places where we see them celebrated, like my goal is to make them the center um, and celebrate them and then have others learn about that. Um, and then hopefully they feel inspired to keep that work going one or even just to reconsider um, some of their own thoughts, challenge some of their previous experiences um as they move forward but I definitely also really align with like bell hooks and her thoughts of um just kind of black um feminism in general and like her thoughts of like education as a practice of freedom and as an act of resistance um really rooted in like anti-racist you know the struggle the struggle of anti-racism and really like not just saying right I'm like anti-racist or I'm not racist but like actually doing the work um, and having like tangible things that people can do or people are seeing um, that we can and move forward and create these spaces that I think have been necessary for a really long time, but I've been missing, especially when we think about like the first year writing, writing course. That's amazing, Jasmine. Uh, we have a, a shared love for bell hooks and being able to read a couple more of her pieces in this class really helped as I was thinking about like what my teaching philosophy is. Like I've been teaching for a while. So I had to write one, I don't know, like 10 years ago. And then if I go back and look at that mess, child, it's a mess as to where it is now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the growth, but that's what it's, life is all about growing and learning. But yeah, it was, it really wasn't, it wasn't good. But so here we are. And so kind of the working definition that I was um, processing for my teaching philosophy moving forward is storytelling is a powerful tool. So just this idea in English classes of using storytelling as a tool to help students be able to achieve greatness through their own personal stories. In terms of different approaches, definitely wanting to think about universal design in terms of accessibility, making sure that every student can access the different artifacts and course materials, and then also expressivist theory. Um, Bell Hooks is um, one of those who are kind of great examples of talking, using personal narrative um, as a form of learning, whether it's journal entries or blogs, they can all provide a framework for learning. And just moving forward, thinking about what are some other pedagogy, pedagogical styles that we want to incorporate into um, my, my research. And so you had the pleasure of focusing on anti-racist um, kind of theory. And I would love to think about how I can add that into 
future courses. And then also I was reading today about um, kind of media technology, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking about using media as a, a way for students to be able to learn in different platforms. So I think that that is definitely an emerging uh, feel. So much to work on, but definitely a good place uh, to get started. I'm also, so next semester, I'm taking um, um, writing in digital spaces and writing in the disciplines. And I feel like um, I really, in knowing that like anti-racist pedagogy is like kind of where my work sits, I really want to like think about what does that mean for students like in the discipline. So like kind of understanding what are the reasons our students writing for. So like just outside of of you know for whatever their instructor asked them to do, but like what are the reasons they're writing for, it? and then how are they using different tools? Like what did because I think it's I don't know. I feel like sometimes I can simplify like the idea of like a digital space and like, oh, it's a blog or it's, you know, but I really want to think about like, how can I be intentional about including digital tools um, in my, in my pedagogy? And like, what does that mean coupled with anti-racist pedagogy? Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do these two play together? You know, what is that space like? And whether it be having to find, um, different scholars who have, you know, kind of charted those waters or, you know, doing it myself, but like, what, what does it mean to, to create, I say doing it myself as if I just, that's just something I can just do, but like, it's really starting to think about what that means um, for students and their like language development, thinking about their relationship with language, their relationship with technology, but also like what, like access and like, how does that or like what you know is that is that an issue is that something that needs to be discussed as well but also just really thinking about like what does like thinking about writing I think wholly and like not just writing for your instructor not just writing as a response to an assignment but really creating an environment where writing is is meaningful um, as much as possible why do you think a teaching philosophy is important I think you have to, well, in order to know like where you're going, I think you have to know where you come from. So like, I think it's important to understand what, what influences um, your practices. Um, and then from there, I feel like you can then reflect and, and make adjustments as necessary. But I think that if you don't, because um, I know sometimes it's like, oh, it's an assignment and I have to, you know, write this or if I'm applying to this job or this whatever, like I might need to have this philosophy written. Um, and so it could be kind of, it could seem like it's not very meaningful, but I think that getting it down on paper um, allows you to, I think reflection in education is really important and it's not something that is always done frequently or done productively. So I think that when you take time to really think about um, what influences the way that you teach, the choices that you make in your teaching, um, how is what you're doing aligning with that, or how is it not? What changes might you need to make? Um, what other pedagogies might you need to consider, or how might you need to reconsider a certain thing? So I think that in order to kind of know, it needs to, it's a kind of like your springboard to know kind of where you're going, but also for you to continue. I think the important part is you have to continue to revisit it and make adjustments um, as you reflect on like your, pra your practice or you reflect on like student feedback. 
Um, but as much as like they can kind of seem like, oh, it's just like a daunting task, I think that when they're used in that way, they become a lot more meaningful. That's good. I like the reflection piece because I feel like I would could have avoided so many toxic courses if the instructor had their teaching philosophy listed on the syllabus because, you know, when you enter spaces and some spaces are just toxic, right? For whatever reason, depending on that professor's approach and how they respond to emails and just treating you like a number yeah. or student ID almost instead of mm -hmm. like, oh, let me understand Crystal's experience or her language or where's Jasmine from, those kind of things. So I think it's important for faculty, maybe that should be a required piece of a syllabus. I don't know that it is, but to have a teaching philosophy so that students can make informed decisions like, oh, does this philosophy align with my worldview or my perspective? If not, then maybe that's not a good fit. Yeah, I like, and even if, even I, and I mean, obviously this is like kind of super far out, I would guess, but I think having something like that where, like on the website, right, where um, you can see who's in the department, you can see who, you know, who faculty are like, yes, obviously it's important to have their scholarship and to have their research interests and like those things are important. But I also think, you know, a, a statement of philosophy could be something that like, I don't know what that would look like or, you know, how that would work, but just something where students can get an idea you know, of who this professor is. I think that's important. Like, I, I think we think a lot about who a teacher is, maybe more so in like the pre-K-12 space, but like in college where you're, you know, there you're, you have to go, right? Here you're, you're paying money to go to a university to, to attend these courses. And it, it sometimes a particular um, professor can like greatly impact what the rest of your journey looks like. And sometimes that's a positive thing and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it potentially could be avoided um, just in being able to think about who you are and who that person is and how this may not work. But I think that could be something that we should consider maybe. I think about kind of why it's important to have professors that look like you. And I know for me, like, I love that you shared your experiences teaching in the public school setting. I didn't have a black teacher. Um, I had a couple of black teacher assistants, but mm -hmm. never. So that was just nuance. It was new to me. Right. And so when I hear people say, yeah, you know, this teacher really impacted me. I don't know. I had good teachers, but there wasn't like a great teacher that I had, but I think it's so important for more black professors to be in academia so that students of color, Black, and I don't want to exclude other groups because it is important. There's definitely a deficit when it comes to um, Latinx professors, uh, members of the LGBTQ community, um, Asian professors. So I think overall, because it's very much a white male dominated space. Yes. So that is important to note. So in your perspective, why are Black professors important? I feel like it, it's... I'm trying to think about even my own experience though in college and like even before now, the number of, I don't, I think my, maybe I had one black professor during undergrad, I think. We are in spaces where, we're in spaces that weren't designed for us, right? Like structures that were put in place that weren't meant for us to be there. And, 
walking into a classroom and seeing someone who looks like me and then having able to even just relate on that level too, because again, it's that like shared experience, that shared knowledge, that that cultural identity that we both have. Um, it's the support. It's it's that's the community that I'm talking about. Like being able to to, to I can talk to this person and they're going to understand where I'm coming from, or they're going to support me in this way, or they're going to advocate for me in this way, or they're going to help me think about you know the decisions that I'm making or how I should maybe shift my thinking or what other avenues there might be for me. Um, I just think that's really it, it's important and it it doesn't happen enough. And I even think about like the students that I have in my own classes and um, like I, I hear a lot of them even say like you're you were the first you know black professor that I had or it was it's just really nice to kind of have this different perspective from you know from someone who's not like the other professors and typically that means who's not you know white and male or White, or it could be white and female, but that's not, you know, that's different than, or one that's really honest about, um, and so I think too, there's a level of like one of my committee members um, is great. And she, I, I, she reminds me of like, it's, it's that comfort of like home. Uh, but I also know like, and not that anyone else doesn't, but I know that for sure, I'm going to get it straight. Like there's no, and sometimes you just need someone who's going to be like, listen, this is it. This is not it. You are no, or you're better than this. Like this, I, I see what you're doing, and I think it's you're trying, but you can. I know that you can do better, and sometimes it takes that you know that person to pull it out of you. But I, it's that it's just that community, that that comfort, that that shared experience. That like I know this person knows kind of what I'm feeling, whatever what I'm going through, and I can really rely on that person to. Um, to help me through this and it's just also inspiring to be like if they can do this and they can get there and they can you know be in this space like why can't I you can and you will Jasmine that's the great <laughs> thing about it you have encouraged me throughout your doctoral journey with going to your comprehensive exams and just seeing you almost near the finish line so just keep it up because folks are watching you um, those who may be younger or or older, just in different spaces, and really are inspired by how diligent you are and committed. So, just bravo to you. Oh, thank you. Um, as we end the semester, tell me one fun thing that you're going to do during the break. Oh, fun! I'm going to sleep. That's not fun though. So, I okay, my cousin they recently um, had a baby and he and I are super close and he's an only child. I'm not an only child, but he's an only child. So I feel like he and I are more like siblings, but they just had a baby and I'm going to go spend some time and get all my baby fever needs out and then return the baby to mom and dad. Um, but I'm going to go get some baby cuddles. I feel like that's fun. That excites me. That's so much fun. But yeah. how old is baby? The baby is Oh goodness. Uh, three almost three months. Oh goodness. Yeah. I love it. I love that for you. I'm um, cuddle the baby and I'm excited. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what fun is because I don't know what that is. It's been yeah. so long. But I, I I really I think I'm gonna have a spa date like 
there's a, a black owned spa in, um, in this area. So I would like to go there and maybe do a facial and a massage. And then that's just, there it is. Yeah. I would like to go see Wakanda forever too. Yes. I would too. I forgot about it. Yeah. I haven't seen and everyone's talking about it and I would like to, um, I like to do that. Spa sounds fun. You'll have to let me know where this spa is. Yes, I will. I'll share the details. Yes. That's a, maybe some, maybe some wine tasting too. There, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Jasmine, you are incredible. Thank you for taking a few moments to connect. Of course. A special thanks to Jasmine for joining the podcast today. We mentioned the incredible Bell Hooks during the conversation. I'll leave you with one of her quotes. When we drop fear, we draw nearer to people. We draw nearer to the earth. We can draw nearer to all the heavenly creatures that surround us. Have a great day. Connect online at SavvyScholar.co or on Instagram at SavvyScholar. Talk to you soon.